Romans chapter 6. This morning we continue our ascent to the mountain of God. To kind of recap where we've been, we began in Romans chapter 1 where Paul, the apostle, shows that all of mankind have sinned. He pictured a world much like our own that we live in today where there is no fear of God. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Because there is no fear of God, they, they ran rampant in their sin as we see happens in our world today and to the point to where God removed his restraining hand and let them have their way and suffer the consequences. We saw that because of the sin of man, that man resides under the righteous wrath of God. That in our sins, we are enemies of God. But then Paul goes on to show how we needed a righteousness. A righteousness not our own. A righteousness that was clean and pure. And that that righteousness was provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Son of God who came. Paul points out that we cannot depend on our own self-righteousness. That by keeping the law, by, by doing a list of do's and don'ts will never make us right with God. That it is only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we come to know the righteousness that is required for us to stand before God. And then Paul began to move on from there and shows how we are justified by faith, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, he gives us the example of Abraham and David and how uh, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And I ask you this morning, have you believed God? When God says to you, outside of Christ, you are a sinner, you abide under His wrath, do you believe God? When God says, but I have provided a way for you to be right with me, if you will by faith believe on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be justified and made right in His sight. Do we believe God when He says this? Uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's a hard thing for us to come to grips with it, that we, we want to believe that we must do something. We want to believe that we must uh, always live up to a particular standard in order to be right with God. When the only works that God will accept are the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, not our own. So Paul, uh, he says that the promise is realized through faith. And, he's, and then he says, once we have believed like Abraham, once we have believed God and it has been accounted to us as righteousness, once we have been made right with God, uh, chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God this morning? Do you have the peace of God this morning? You cannot have and experience the peace of God until you have first experienced peace 
with God. Uh, the, the Apostle John, in his first letter, 1 John, he, he says that without Christ, we are at enmity with God. That we are enemies. We are born enemies of God. But through Christ Jesus, we have peace with God. And then Paul began to talk about grace. Grace. What a wonderful thing grace is. You know, we call grace the undeserved favor of God. And that's exactly what it is. You know, there's a little acrostic that I, I read many years ago using the words in the word grace. If you take the letters and put them all down in a row, it says God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's really what it is. That is what grace is. And, and, and so Paul moves on and he says, uh, you know, we need to understand that we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. And in Adam we all die. But in Christ we all live. But we must not, I, we must stop here, we must pause for a moment and understand something very important. That Jesus Christ did not come to give us salvation. He did not come to give us peace. He did not come to provide for us holiness. Jesus is our salvation. He is our peace. He is our holiness. In other words, when we have Christ, we have all of it. And that's the only place that it's found. And then, as I mentioned last week, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that the, that the translators would place a chapter break right here. Uh, you know, we're going to look at verse, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, but I want to back up before we read that to chapter 5. Look at verse 17, and let's read all the way through verse 14 of 6, all right? Paul says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. He's talking about Adam and how we are born into this world in Adam. We are, he is our federal head. He says, uh, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so as by the one's man, one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. I, I, I like the way I think it's the King James puts it. says, God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will, no long, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life he live, lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from dead to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. One of the dangers of preaching salvation by grace alone uh, is that it can be interpreted as a license to sin as we want. I've been accused of this. I have been accused of preaching that because I say we are saved by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then that means I can go out and do anything I want to do. But Paul anticipates their argument. Uh, Paul was always on guard when he made a strong statement about grace. And when he wrote there in Romans 5.20 uh, that, that where sin increased grace abounded all the more so there he anticipated their question so what you're saying paul is if if grace abounds where sin abounds then i can just go out and sin all i want to and therefore i'll receive more grace and Paul is saying to them, by no means. He says, you have no idea what you're talking about. He says, you have completely misunderstood. Some uh, erroneously teach today that it, is a, uh, that it is a believer's duty to sin so that God's grace can be displayed. I have heard preachers say that right there. Those very words. He says, it is our duty to sin so that God can display His grace. Folks, as Vernon McGee used to say, that smells like smoke because it comes right out of the pit of hell. So when Paul said, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, he could sense the inevitable question coming there. And so Paul had no use for even the slightest imitation that grace or intimation that grace encourages sin. And verses 3 through 14, they answer the question, how do those of us who are living under grace live without being characterized by sin? Now, one of the interesting things uh, about this passage is this right here. On Wednesday nights, we've been doing a study through holiness or sanctification. Sanctification is the process that begins the moment you're saved and carries throughout your entire life to the point to where we, the, the, the glorification in our life is accomplished. Uh, 
It is, it is God and through the Holy Spirit working in our lives, making us like Christ. And one of the characteristics of a true believer of Christ, a true follower of Christ, one of those characteristics is as you go along, you will begin to hate sin more and more. By the way, and let me throw this in there, and if you need to write this one down, then go ahead. You will begin to hate your sin more than my sin. I will begin to hate my sin more than I do your sin. And this is what, so, so here in chapter 6, Paul is kind of talking about that sanctification, about how, uh, you know, sin is something that we must put away from us. Sin is something that we must to learn to hate as God does. Our lives must not be characterized by sin. We will sin. There's a difference in sinning and living in sin. Every one of us sin every day. But you show me a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ that continues to live in disobedience to God. They disregard their sin and I will show you a liar. I will show you someone who has not truly been saved. So, but Paul, he answers logically. First, by understanding the nature, and this is what I brought me to what I was talking about on Wednesday nights. One of the things that we've talked about in our study is to, to truly understand our sanctification, to walk with God, to allow God to work in our lives. One of the things that we must understand is our identification with Christ, who I am in Christ. Paul uses those words over and over and over in him, in Christ, through Christ, because it's all comes back to him. So by understanding the nature of our identification with Christ and second, by accepting our identification with Christ as being true. And, and, and we've talked about this on Wednesday night. How I feel is completely irrelevant. Okay, What I think is completely irrelevant. It's what God's Word says that matters. All right? So we look at, at the nature of our identification with Christ. We accept our identification as being true. And third, by yielding to the Christ with whom we are identified. So uh, there, there in verses 1 through 10 Paul talks about the nature of our identification. What we believe determines how we live. You agree with that? What we believe will determine how we live. And this is why doctrine is so important. This is why it is so important for those who profess to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, that you be in God's house to hear God's Word taught and preached as much as possible. This is why it is so important as a follower of Christ that you set aside a time daily where you get along with God, you open His Word and you read and you meditate and you pray over God word because what you believe will determine how you live that is an inevitable fact of life and Christian living depends on Christian learning duty follows doctrine uh, in, in here in verses 3 through 10 the key word that we find three times in there is the word no 
the word no. I love that because if you go over to 1 John and read through that book, that's the key word of that whole book. No. John is constantly saying, you saying, uh, by this we know. By this we know. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So this, this word know is very important. And Paul wants us to know and understand the nature of our union with Christ. And Paul employs the metaphor of baptism. Okay? Now, you've heard me say this. I will say this over and over. I will say this till I die. And I can prove it by that book right there. You are not saved by being baptized. Okay? We do not believe in baptismal regeneration. You are not saved by being baptized. You are baptized because you're saved. And that's what Paul is his point that he's making here. Uh, a believer's baptism symbolizes some wonderful realities. Uh, one time a man named Ron Ritchie was 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 baptizing some folks in the Pacific Ocean from his church. And this young lady walked up to him and she said, this is my nine year old daughter. and She'd like to be baptized. So he began to talk to the little girl <clears throat> And he said, uh, you know, why do you want to be baptized? Do you understand what baptism is for? Do you understand what it means? And he sat there and he proclaimed to her the gospel. And then he was explaining to her about baptism. And as he was uh, gesturing with his hands, he noticed that, that the, the shadow of his hand on the sand and on the beach. And he asked her, he said, do you see that shadow right there? And she said, yes. And he said, is that my hand? And she said, no, it's just the shadow of your hand. And he said, right, that's the shadow. This is the substance. He said, that's the picture of baptism. It's not the, the, the substance, it's the shadow. Uh, it, it, it's a picture of something that has already happened. And Paul talks about us being uh, dying with Christ and being buried with Christ and being risen from the dead with Christ. And so baptism is a picture of something that's already happened. And to me now, now I'm going to I know I don't need to tell you all this, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> this is why we believe in immersion as being the biblical method of baptism. I have never yet gone to a funeral where they just took some dirt and threw it on somebody's head and walked away. Never. You know what they do? They cover them up. They immerse them in the earth. And when we are baptized, we go down into the water, which pictures our death with Christ, our death to self, our death to sin. And then we are raised to new life with Christ. But all it is is an identification. It's a picture of something that's already happened. And so the overall emphasis on these verses is upon our profound identity with Christ. This is our position. We are identified with Christ. Listen, folks, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, let me tell you something right now. And this will be one of the most important truths you will ever learn in your Christian life. It'll change everything if you truly believe this. And the Bible bears this out. When God looks at me, He sees Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Now, do you know why that's wonderful? Because He never sins. 
I am identified with him. Just as in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple, they, they had the Ark of the Covenant. And within the Ark were the, were the three articles. There was the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and the manna from heaven. All three a picture of Christ. And on top of this was the mercy seat with the two cherubim with their wings touching. And, and once a year, the high priest would go in and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on that mercy seat. And when God looked down, you know what he saw? He saw the blood. Now, the high priest had to do this year after year after year after year. But did you notice what Paul said right here? Look at verse... Uh, Verse 10, he says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So this is our position. We are identified with Christ and we are so profoundly identified with Christ's death and resurrection that we actually did die with him when we truly are raised with him. Folks, that is, that is unbelievably wonderful news. That's why the gospel is called the gospel. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in who? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Over here in, uh, the, in, in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Have you been raised to new life? He says, Then seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, love verse 4. When Christ, who is your life. Again, He didn't come to give us life. He came to be our life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Isn't that great? So we need to know and we need to count on this if we are to experience victory over sin. In other words, Paul is saying, look, you say, uh, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, you know, you have no idea who you are in Christ. Or you would never ask that question. He said, you have no idea who you are in Christ or you would never even consider the possibility that it is our duty to sin so that grace may abound. In verse 6 and 7, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set freed from sin the old self is the person that we were before we were saved the body of sin that he talks about it has been rendered inoperative inoperative let, let, me, let me tell you what Paul is saying here and what Jesus talked about what John talks about and Peter talks about. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that death. What Paul is saying is that when Jesus died that death, I died that death. 
Every believer in Christ died that death. Okay? You with me? Because I have died, sin no longer has any power over me. Sin is no longer my master. Now you know what that says? That says when I sin, it's because I choose to. But Paul says you don't have to. You've been set free from that. We have been set free from sin. Now don't get me wrong here. We will never ever reach sinless perfection in his life. Okay? But what he's saying is, when temptation comes, you know, uh, I, I heard an old preacher, he said, when temptation comes knocking on your door, you can now say, hey, Jesus, would you get that? We are no longer who we were before, that old man, that old self. He said, we know that the old self was crucified. He's dead. You know what a dead person does? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's not motivated by anything. Verse 8, he says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lived, He lives to God. The argument that we should continue in sin is ridiculous. The exact opposite is what is true. As Puritan John Owen used to say, you need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Those who argue that grace is a buffer to sin show themselves to be unsaved. We as believers, we as we grow and we understand who we are in Christ, and I understand how I am identified with Christ, that I have been crucified with Him. I was buried with Him. I have been raised to new life with Him. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Paul says, why in the world would you even want to do that? If you truly know and understand who Christ is. You know, in another place, Paul is, is talking about how when a man is uh, joined to a prostitute, when a believer is joined to a prostitute, and Paul says, do you realize that when you're joined to a prostitute, Christ is joined to a prostitute. He said, is that what you want? He said, do you not understand? But the point that he's making there is, do I not understand that I am so identified with Him that I am so identified with who I am. My position before God is in Christ. Where He is, I am. What He does, I do. What He doesn't do, I don't do. And so Paul says, look, he says, we need to learn, you know, Paul Washer says that being a, a Christian, being a believer, is learning to hate the sin you once loved and learning to love the righteousness you once hated. Do you hate your sin? Do you despise your sin? Have you ever prayed and asked God to let him see to let you see your sin the way he sees your sin? Verse 11, Paul says, So you also... Now, I have these next three words underlined and highlighted in my Bible. So you also must consider yourselves 
dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now listen, this is so simple it's hard for us to miss. It's easy for us to miss. For you have died to sin. What does the dead do? Nothing. So if I'm dead to sin, you know, if I died, okay, and I know how much y'all love me, you'd probably have me stuffed and sitting right here on the front pew. <laughs> and you know, if you did that, Cindy can be up here and she can sing. She can sing one of my favorite songs. You know, one of my favorite songs is When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. And she's going to get all of you to just sing it at the top of your voices and just, uh, and, and I'm going to sit right there and do what? Nothing. As a matter of fact, I won't even hear it. You know why? Because I'm dead. You see what Paul's saying here? Paul's making the point, you are, you are dead to sin. So therefore, when sin comes and entices me, when temptation comes to entice me, it shouldn't have any effect on me. You know why? I'm dead. He says you are dead to sin, but you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right? So here's the parallel. Here's the, here's the, the point Paul's making. I'm dead to sin. Sin should no longer affect me. But I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus, so the things of God should affect me. I, I, I should no longer want to do the things associated with sin, but I do want to do the things that are associated with God. Gathering with God's people, hearing God's word preached, singing God's praises, prayer, all these things. The word consider that Paul uses there in verse 11, or reckon, they are, they are some of the most important words in Romans. We will find these words over and over and over. And we've already talked about this once. It means to impute to one's account. Paul says, so you also must reckon. You must consider yourself to be dead to sin. I think this is where we, where, where we fall short. We don't understand that we... Consider myself dead to sin. Paul says, you don't believe that. Because if you did, you would never say, should I sin so that grace may abound? And let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to know. Have you ever faced a temptation in your life or been enticed with sin and say, you know, I know God will forgive me, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. Have you ever done that? I have. I'm ashamed to say that I have. You know why I did that? Because I did not consider myself to be dead to sin and alive to God. The idea is we are to reflect on our position in Christ. We are to set two things to our account. We are dead to sin and we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the reckoning to our account is something that we must constantly do. It's not a one-time thing. It's something I must constantly do. It, it kind of reminds me of Martin Luther who said that he preached the gospel to his students every week because every week they forgot about it. 
And we must constantly remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. It is literally, Paul says, keep on counting yourself dead to sin. Keep on <clears throat> uh, considering and counting yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. So far, Paul has told us what we must know about our union with Christ who we are, where we stand with Him, and then He has explained the necessity of considering or reckoning. Now He's going to tell us how we put that into action, how we must act upon that. Right doctrine produces right living. Verse 12 and 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, notice what he says here in verse 12. Let not. Let not. So you know what Paul's saying? Stop doing it. Now, it's almost like I have the ability to do that. And you know what he's saying? He's saying you do. You know why you do? Because of your position in Christ. That's where I can say, Jesus, would you get that? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your bodies to your members to sin, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Paul is very clear. His answer falls into these two corresponding halves. The first is negative. Do not present yourselves, your members, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Be on constant guard against this. We must be on guard not to allow my tongue, not to allow my hands, not to allow my feet. Listen, the next time you are tempted to gossip, the next time you are tempted to lash out at someone, the next time you're, you, you are tempted to, to, to run, to spread gossip, I keep using that word gossip because I will tell you folks, there is nothing that will destroy a church faster than gossip. Paul says, don't make your body available tools for sin to use, for Satan to use. Be on constant guard. And then he talks about the positive. He says, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for unrighteousness or for righteousness we are to present ourselves to God this involves a once for all act all of us must come to a time when we present everything to God for righteousness have you done this have you come to Christ and have you presented yourself to him and said Lord I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. And everything I am, everything I want to be, everything I have is yours. Take it. Use it. Do what you want. Give yourself to Christ. The logic of our passage is compelling in its three words. We are told to know. We are told to consider. And we are told to present. 
And you see there's a progression here. Paul says, when you know this, you're going to consider that. When you've considered that, you're going to do this. Have you done this? Have, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who you are outside Christ? Do you know that you know, like the old preachers used to say, do you know that you know that you know? Do you know who you are in Christ, that you are forgiven? And, and it is only in Christ that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are accepted. And when we know that, then we will consider who we are and what we're doing. And once we have considered that, then we will begin to live like people who know Christ. That's what it all says. Have we yielded our lives totally to Him? And if so, then we know the answer to those who argue that grace encourages sin. You know, uh, verse 14, Paul says, now, now listen, Paul is very emphatic in what he says right here. For sin will not have dominion over you. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. But notice what he says. He says, sin will have no dominion over you. Once you know, consider, and act. Let us continue to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty Father, as we come this morning, we thank you for your word. Father, help us this morning to know who we are in Christ. Father, help us to consider what it means to be in Christ. Father, so that we may walk in a manner that is worthy of, call of you. Father, that we would understand that sin no longer has dominion over us. That we have died to it. That we are alive to you in Christ Jesus. But Father, help us also to understand this morning, most of all, how important it is to know that being in Christ is what makes the difference. That we have no righteousness of our own. That we need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. Father, I pray that if there's one listening, Father, if there's one listening that has never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, that has never turned to Him away from their sin and by faith received the free gift of eternal life, that, Father, this morning they may run to Him. They may run to Him and fall on their face before Him in repentance. That they may know that they are in Christ. And we ask it in His dear name. Amen. Let's stand. Turn to page 496. Victory.